Are you ready for the Word of God? Hebrews chapter 12, here we go. And uh, Hebrews chapter 12, I'm covering both of the first two verses, that's it. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, a remarkable passage for us to be able to jump into today. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, go ahead and turn there if you would. Um, before we stand for the reading of the Word of God, though, I want to I make sure you understand and remember what's been taking place. Author of Hebrews, writing to a bunch of Jewish believers who God has been saying, don't you want to just go back and surrender um, to the Old Testament sacrificial system and this whole Jesus thing is starting to get in our way um, and the author is saying, no, don't give up the Jesus thing. Keep your faith in Christ Jesus. It's not just about rituals. It's not just about sacrifices. There's so much more to this. It's about having faith in Jesus Christ. And so he's writing these things. And then he even gives them examples from Hebrews chapter 11. It's that series within a series that we did for about a month. Um, Hebrews chapter 11, we called it Admire. It's about the heroes of faith. So then he goes to these heroes of faith. All right. And he's looking at people like Abel and like Enoch and uh, like Noah and Abraham and Sarah and all these amazing people. And he's like, listen, these are people who all made mistakes. These are people, though, who also live by faith because a weaker faith is still greater than unbelief. And so learn from them, grow from them. Last week, we were able to be reminded that not only did they live by faith by obtaining to the promises of God and shutting the mouths of lions and being made strong in the midst of weakness, they also lived by faith even when they had to lose their life and they were imprisoned and they were mocked and they were shamed and they were sawn in two and they did that as well. And that's powerful because what we love about scriptures, we often call on certain verses. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is a particular set of verses in which we love to call out. And we often do it in the wrong context. Similar to Philippians 4, 13. Right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we, um, it's a wonderful passage. And yes, there's some truth in that. But we're, we can do it. What, if you look at the entirety of that letter, it's about being able to do all things in terms of suffering and in terms of walking through the hardship and through all the trials so that we can be obedient to give God glory in all things. Not just to be able to accomplish for self. The whole point is to be able to have the strength to accomplish for the glory of God. Well, Hebrews chapter 12 is similar. It's a passage that many of us know. And he's writing, and he's like, hey, listen, because of everything that's been happening, know that you can do this. You can run the race that you need to run. So let's stand for the reading of the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. And it says, therefore, and I want to stop right there for a moment. Therefore, all right? Therefore, if you look at what the meaning of this really is, is, hey, as a result of, because of this, you can now do this. That's what the meaning is. So he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with the race that is set before us, looking to the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So he's like, hey, listen, this whole book, this whole letter is about holding fast to your faith. 
Over and over, he speaks, the author speaking about hold fast, hold fast, hold fast. Everybody say hold fast. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to hold fast to our faith, not to be removed, not to be separated from it, no matter what. And we can do that as a result of what we have seen before. We can do that as a result of having faith in Jesus Christ, yes, but also with the witnesses and the examples that have gone before us that were just mentioned. I wanted to look up the word faithfulness and say, hey, listen, we're being called to to live a life of faith. What does that really look like? So I went... I wanted to go just to a normal non-commentary. I live in the world of commentaries, right? And so I I just went to dictionary.com. Didn't know there was such a thing. Just go to dictionary.com. And this is what it says faithfulness is. It says faithfulness is the quality of being true to one's word or commitments. Being true to one's word or commitments as to what one has pledged to do, profess to believe. This is straight from dictionary.com. So faithfulness is a matter of being true to your word, true to your commitment, to what you have pledged to do and what you have professed to believe. Dictionary.com. Faithfulness is something that we live by every day, by faith. We live by faith. We live by our faithfulness. Which means this, this is something that's going to stand out to us today. Faithfulness is not sporadic. Here's another way of thinking about faithfulness. Faithfulness is uh, an easy way to summarize faith. Faithfulness is consistency over time, remaining steadfast to the purpose of Jesus Christ. Faithfulness is consistency over time. It's every day being true to what you say that you're true to, committing yourself fully to what you say you profess to believe. It's not sporadic. It's not something that you do once a week week or even once a year in an anniversary or twice a year at Christmas and Easter. It's something that you are faithful to every single day. So by faith, you are living according to the will of God and what he desires of you to give him God's glory and God's purpose no matter what. So faithfulness is continual. So he calls out, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, we get to run this race of endurance. Well, the race of endurance is out of faith, which is constant. So hear it again, faithfulness is not sporadic. Faithfulness, you don't know faithfulness if once a week you try to be faithful to the word of God and the rest of the week you live however you want to live. You don't have faithfulness, you have a practice out of a religion that makes you feel better about who you are but doesn't pull you any closer to God. And he's writing this passage, the author's writing this, and he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's make sure that we're faithful. Be faithful because people, one, he says, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, it lets us know that these Old Testament heroes of faith, the people that you have already learned from in Hebrews chapter 11, the people that you're trying to emulate, the people you're trying to, to gain knowledge from, they're sitting there and they're looking to see the type of faithfulness that you have. And he's encouraging the reader to hold fast to their faith, just as the previous people mentioned held on to their faith. And these are people who are witnessing our lives face this great cloud of, of witnesses, right? And I love that great cloud of witnesses. It means a large group. If you look at the Greek, this cloud, the cloud would represent, acknowledge a group of people, a large group of men and women who are people of faith, who are witnessing the faith that you have in life. 
It doesn't, this passage does not automatically mean that people in heaven see everything that we do here on earth. That's not what this passage means. It means that you have people of faith that are observing our faithfulness. So you can't take it too far. But people know if you are someone who claims, if you claim simply a habit, a practice, that's language we've been using a lot over the last month, are you someone who simply claims a practice or are you living by faith? And if you're living by faith, you're not living by a sporadic pattern in your life. Every day you're waking up and giving God glory. So here he is once again, and he calls out and he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This passage is one of the most beautiful things about this passage, that if you want to live by faith, anybody want to live by faith, yes or no? This is about to tell you in just these two verses four ways and four things that you have to do in order to live by faith. I love that. Like if you're going, well, how do you live by faith? Quit being, ambigu uh, being ambiguous in terms of your understanding of faith. How do you live by faith? Well, he's going to, this author is going to tell us how we live by faith. This passage tells us how to run with endurance toward Jesus throughout our lives and to live by faith. Just like the ones that were sent before. And so let's just go ahead and jump into this. It says in verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12, if we are to live by faith, four things I want to share with you. Knowing that we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, it says, let us also lay aside every weight. Let us set aside every weight that holds us back. Now, in the original language, you have to separate this, and a lot of people don't. You need to separate this from the sin that so easily entangles. It's about to hit that in, this, in the next phrase, but these are two different things. This isn't automatically referring to the sin that is in our life. It's, it's referring to anything that's keeping you, holding you back from that which God is calling you to. It's a different way, a unique way of thinking for us because we often say, well, you've got you to gotta purge yourself. You've got to strip yourself of the sin in your life so that we, because we know that sin separates us from God and we want to step closer to God. Well, this is saying, listen, you need, to, you need to recognize what God has called you to and you also need to recognize all the weight that you have in your life that you need to set aside. And it may not be sin, but it's still keeping you from running the race that God has really called you to. Right this afternoon, it's a beautiful day in Michigan. As we know, it's going to be like this every day for the next year and a half. And so uh, I go, go walk a mile this afternoon. Go, everybody go run a mile and throw 25 pounds on your back as you do it. That weight will hold you back. It's going to, listen, it's going to impact your back. It would impact my back at least. Um, and all different types of things because it's an unnecessary weight that you have in your life. And I, I think we need to, I know we need to evaluate the weight that we have in our life that sometimes we don't need to have. Right? What, what is that for you? Again, it's not always sin, but there are things in our life that can serve to slow us down and, and to hinder us. What's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about to say, you know what, you, you need to recognize that you've got some weight in your life that you don't need to be carrying around and it's keeping you from moving forward in the way that you need to move forward. Here's another way to think about this first thing of setting aside every weight that holds you back is what's hindering your spiritual race? What's hindering your spiritual race? 
What weight in your life do you need to lay aside? Maybe it's your current understanding of God is keeping you from a greater understanding of God. You're like, well, this is the way I was raised, and this is the way I am, and you forget the transformation is a continual process. It's not a one-time event, and so you just keep living according to what you've always been told, but you've never stepped into a greater understanding of God and allow him to shape you and to develop you and to mature you, to get you off of the bottle and to start eating meat, right, and to be able to have that posturing with him. What's hindering your spiritual race? For some of you, we don't know that because we have, it's just consumption. We've consumed so much, and the more you have, the more you have to do. So we have so much going on in life. Just look at, your, look at time. That could be a weight for some of you, the way you spend your time that's keeping you from running the race that God has really called for you to run in faith. Anybody here want God to have full access to your heart and anything he wants you to do, you're all in? Anybody? Like anybody at all. So like eight of you, that's fantastic. And we know that should be our posturing, right? So if we want to wake up every day, look at your calendar. Do you have five weeks available this week if God says, I want you to go do this? So sometimes we can cram our calendar so full of things, we don't have time for God to speak into our lives regardless because we're automatically going to say, I don't have time for that. God must want me to do something else. And so we just say no to God is what we're doing because, again, this isn't just about the sin in our life. This is anything that's getting in the way of our life, any weight that we have that we're having to carry that's keeping us from living the life of faith that God intends. For some of you, it's control. Right? I've... I've seen kids before, you know, we think it's so cute. They're seven years old, and um, they map out, like, they're writing down every night what they have to do the next day. And we're like, this is fantastic. And they wake up at this time. And, um, and I've talked about this. I had one of those kids, and they write every single thing down. And it's so good because we're like, they're going to be so organized. But what that leads to and what I'm working with with one of my kids is now they want everything. As they get older, it's not as cute because they want everything in a particular way. And it doesn't allow from the, for the freedom that God says, hey, I want you to go do this. They want to be able to control it. And so sometimes that's a weight. Something that started as cute because we don't teach our children, hey, it's good to know what you, you've got coming tomorrow. That's okay. That's not necessarily a sin. But if all of a sudden you have to control everything, that's going to become a problem because then when they're 25, we're scratching our head going, why won't they surrender to Jesus? Why do they have to control everything? Because they grew up with you celebrating the very thing that was a weight that became a sin. You following me on this? We have to think differently about this because we're called to live by faith. And so often we have weights in our life, things that are preventing us from stepping fully into what God is desiring for us to do. And it's not necessarily sin, but it can become sin. They can become obstacles in our lives. So we need to set aside every weight that holds us back. Second thing we need to be able to do Set aside the sin that clings to you. Now, again, they, I'm separating these two things. One is set as, setting aside every weight. That's not automatically a sin, but often things that can become a sin. Acknowledge what those things are in your life. Go ahead and like, know that this afternoon, I wish I had a mic. I could just go to every one of you and just say, what is it for you? What's the weight that could, that could become a sin? Wouldn't it be cool if we could be mature enough to acknowledge those things? But another thing, if we want to live by faith, we have to set aside the sin that clings to us. Does anybody else, I, I never feel as dumb as when I'm trying to use cling wrap. Anybody else? 
Like you get that thing out and it's like, oh, and they even marketed it, a perforated edge. It doesn't keep it from turning into a ball of just yuck to me. Like I rip it off and as soon as I rip it off, it all goes, and I'm like, oh. But I just had a great idea for an invention. So anyway, I'm not going to tell you what it is because you're still, but anyway, okay, I'm going to get rich. It's going to be so cool. Like you pull that saran wrap off and you're like, oh my goodness, well, that's what sin does. It clings to you. It entangles you. Another Greek word would be it ensnares, right? It traps you is another word that is used. Sin traps us. So we want to live by faith. So if we want to live by faith, we need to not only acknowledge the weight in our life that could become a sin, we have to acknowledge the sin that clings to us. Um, we all know that the book of Hebrews speaks often about hold what? Hold. Yes. Well done. Hold fast. We want to hold fast to God, to Christ, to the gospel, no matter what. Well, that's what sin, mm, right there, does to us as well. Right? All of a sudden, you look at pornography, and the first time, it's like it clings to your heart. That's what happens. Or you start, con just that idea of consuming, you just want more and more and more, or control, and your calendar is so full for what you want to see happen that you've never even considered what does God want to see happen with your life. And it starts to trap you, and you think you have to have control. And if you don't have the control, then all of a sudden, what are you going to do? And you become anxious, and you have stress in your life because you're not controlling it. I thought you surrendered everything to Jesus. And so he's saying that not only should you set aside every weight that holds you back, that you need to set aside the sin that clings to you, that ensnares you, that traps you. It's powerful language. Another, one of the commentaries I was reading is, is so cool. It talks about the sin that is actually, an, it becomes an addiction. An addiction with the pornography, a, a, an addiction of, of desiring wealth, or the addiction that can come into your life in terms of trying to control everything. And it becomes an addiction, that thing that you take hold of, and you don't want to let it go. So if you want to be one of those people in Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to be one of the individuals that we learn from and grow from, and if you want to live by faith, you need to acknowledge the sin. Have that conversation later today with someone and say, hey, what's the sin in your life that I can be praying for and hold you accountable to? Would you do that today? Yes? Why won't we do it? Friends, we're all sinners. Why won't we acknowledge the fact that we're sinners? The quicker we'll acknowledge the fact that we're sinners and that we're broken, the quicker we can move forward in a more deep, intimate relationship with Jesus. If you are married in this room and you're unwilling to look at each other and say, hey, here's the sin I need you to pray for me about, you are so immature in your faith. You don't even understand how much growth you probably need to do, need to have, need to experience in your life. You're all sinners. Can we just relax and know that we're sinners, but we've been saved by grace? And so we desire knowing that it overwhelms us, the goodness of Christ. This is the gospel, the goodness of Christ. It's not by works that we're saved, but because we've experienced his grace and his love and his mercy, it so overwhelms us that we want to live by faith. So yeah, we're like, oh, what's the sin that I need to get rid of? And not only the sin, what's anything I have in my life that could become a sin that could captivate my heart and my mind and my thinking that would prevent me from being surrendered to Jesus? Is that not maturity? Yes or no? 
So is that how you're living? Because this is the instruction that we're receiving from Hebrews chapter 12. It's like, man, listen, therefore, we know we got a bunch of awesome people watching. And it's a cloud of witnesses to check out our faithfulness. And so if you really want to live by faith, you have, to, you have to make sure that you're learning the lesson that they live. You have to set aside every weight that would hold you back. Abram, right? Talked about Abraham. Where he lived was a weight. wasn't automatically a sin. It could have become a sin if he would have chosen to stay there rather than being obedient to God to leave and go where God told him to go. So if you want to live by faith, get rid of the weight. If you want to live by the example of these people, make sure you remove the sin that clings to you. Right? And we see that in people like Moses. He had to do that very thing and release the sin, right? He, he murdered someone. We learn from these individuals. Third thing. If you want to run with faith, then you have to run with endurance. Run with endurance. Not the race so that you can better yourself and get what you want. Please stop butchering this passage. It's so that you can run with endurance in order to live by faith and give glory to God. Remember the examples that it just gave us? It just said, Hebrews 11, here's what it is to live by faith. Obtain the promises. Whoa! See his strength in the midst of your weakness. Whoa! But how about be imprisoned Whoa. and mocked, sawn in two, and stoned? Remember, we want to run with endurance so that we can direct all attention to God and to his son, Jesus, not so that more attention comes to us. So we want to run with endurance, the race that is set before us, Acts chapter 20 speaks about Paul. What Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, is Paul speaking about his desire to run the race with endurance and to finish it to, and to its completion with joy. So now Paul is wanting to run this race that he speaks about with endurance and to finish the race with joy. That's the endurance he wants to have. have how many of you have ever ran a marathon? Will you raise your hand? You guys are crazy. Can I hear an amen? I've done it before, so I'm with you. I feel like I can say that because I've done it before. Um, I remember running the first one, and some of you already know the story, but I, I, I made the huge mistake um, of training for 17 miles. That's the longest run I had ever done. I'd only done that once. 15 was my longest run ever, and I just didn't do math very well. I didn't calculate that. How many miles in a marathon? 26. So I forgot there was another nine miles to run, I guess. And it just hurt, right? Somebody, with, uh, about a month after I remember running the race, they're like, hey, listen, you're already in, in marathon shape. You want to know another, you want to run another one with me? I'm like, no. They're like, well, you want to pray about it? I'm no. <laughs> like, God ain't speaking that, <laughs> right? Like, it just hurts so bad. But we want to run with an endurance that allows us to run the race every single day to move forward. And so, he, and not only to do it and to just, like, I slugged out the last seven miles. It was rough. And I ran the whole thing, but I mean, I was in so much pain. It truly impacted my body for months. I was not prepared. And as I'm running that race, that's not the type of race that Paul's talking about. He's like, run this race with endurance, and I want to finish the race with joy. When I finished that race, I didn't have much joy. 
But we want to run with an endurance that, ex- that knows the type of joy that even Paul is speaking to in Acts chapter 20. We want to finish the race God has called us to with the joy that Paul is addressing here to run the race that God has called us to. And that involves effort and commitment. And we have to be faithful to what he really desires of us and what he wants of us. It means every day waking up, what are you going to be faithful to tomorrow in order to be able to know that you're running with endurance and perseverance? Answer that question, and please don't tell me I'm going to read the verse of the day as it pops up on my phone. That's a starting point, but it's so much more than that. You should be growing beyond, here's my verse of the day. Right? We don't understand the enormity of what God has actually called us to. We've lowered the biblical standards, and that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to live according to the biblical standards, not to try to alter them. And so we want to run with endurance, to run the race and to finish it properly, to be consistent, to be faithful, to persevere. That's why we say that faithfulness cannot be sporadic. It's every day waking up and standing and saying, I will be a part of the movement of God. I want to live by faith, and to live by faith means I have to have a different type of endurance. Lastly, what it says is, if we were to live by faith, we look to Jesus. Here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we're going to lay aside every weight. We're going to set aside the sin that clings and tangles us. And we're going to run with endurance, the race that is there. And then we're going to look to Jesus. We're going to look to Jesus. We're going to focus on Christ because that's where our faith comes from to begin with. So to not look to Jesus in all things. In all things, you are to look to Jesus. For him to be your focus, your intentionality, to be your purpose and your motivation, your encouragement. So we look to Jesus. Why do we look for Jesus? Because it tells us, one, that he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Or another way to look at it, according to translation, it would be the founder um, and the not only perfecter, but the finisher of our faith. It moves you, go over and write down Philippians 1.6. A great passage for you to better go to and go, oh, oh, yeah. He knows the good work that he's called us to and the completion that's going to come with that. And he says, I am sure of this, that he, be, he who began a good work in you, right, will bring it to completion to, until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's called us to something. And so we're going to look to Jesus in all things. We're going to look to Jesus because he's the founder of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. We're going to look to Jesus also because he endured the cross. He endured the cross, despising its shame. He endured the despising of the shame. Right? He had shameful accusation against him. It was shameful the way they put a a thorn of crowns on his head. It was shameful how they mocked him when they wrote the words, Henry above him, king of the Jews, and the robe that they put on him. He endured that shame on our behalf. So if you want to live by faith, you look to Jesus as an example of what it is to live by faith. Not only did Jesus Christ carry uh, humility for us, 
Not only was he a humble individual, but he was willing to be humiliated for you. And so we look to Jesus. And I just, I keep coming back to like, why is it that we struggle so much? To, if, if these are the things that says, hey, are you, are you living by faith? Which you just go, oh yeah, man, I know every single threat in my life. It's not even a sin yet, but I acknowledge everything. I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm in protective mode. I want to make sure my heart is right with God, my mind is right with God. So I know the things that could become sin, and I know the sin that, could, that is entangling me, that is ensnaring me, that's clinging to me, that's trapping me, all those words, right? And so I'm acknowledging that, and I'm looking to Jesus for absolutely all guidance so that I can run with endurance. Why do we struggle with this? quick story for you is um many of you know I, I enjoy uh I, I have an just an amazing team that I'm able to work with here and to partner with and I let a lot of the guys know that hey this is when I'm going to work out I sent out a message yesterday hey I'm working out if you want to come join me and um a couple guys showed up and so it shows you how faithful my team is out of the dozens and dozens of staff members two showed up and um the uh we just went 33, 34 minutes, just really, really hard. It was like, go, 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 go. And I did this on purpose. I just wanted to see how they would respond, these guys who came, awesome men of God. And I said, hey, we're done. Good job. I'm giving high fives, right? It was so good. And I was like, high five. You guys are great. I hope you have a wonderful day. We're all done. And we're, we're almost there. And they said, hey, by the way, you can't leave until you give me 100 jump rope. So everything's done. Hunter jump rope, jump rope. I know what you're thinking. No big deal. One-footed, right? Big deal. Okay. But after you've been told, it's the mental thing. You already know it's already finished, but now there's more to come. And you're like, man, there's two responses. I wish I could do this to everybody in a job interview, Pastor Nathan, that everybody would have to do this in a job interview. Because there's typically two responses in that. It's either people go, wait a second, you said we were finished. I'm already done. And so then you actually can get bothered by the fact that somebody just asked you to do something else. That's how you are at your job, maybe. You did what you thought was your responsibility. That's all you want to do. And now that they've asked you to do more, you're like, heck no. I've already done what I said I would do. Or you recognize that running a race and running this marathon that God has called us to, living by faith, isn't about you checking off anything. It's about you every day waking on, putting on your running shoes, strapping them on, tying them tight, and saying, God, whatever you want, I don't have to control it. Thy will be done. I'm at your submission to your authority no matter what you ask. And so instead of going, man, wait a second, I didn't know I'd have to do all this. You go, if it's the will of God, I'm in. If it's the will of God for me to share with my neighbor and they reject it, so be it. But if God has provided that opportunity, I'm going to share the will of the Lord. I'm going to share my faith about what Christ has done in my life. You see, there's a different posturing that we're to have. If you want to live by faith, it cannot be something that is sporadic. It's every day waking up. So tomorrow on Monday and then Tuesday and Wednesday, what are you doing in order to live by faith? What does that look like? Or are you so busy knowing that things aren't going the way you want, so then you get upset with God saying, this isn't fair. What's not fair is that he had to endure the cross for you. 
I'll go down that road all day, every day, and I will win because I have the word of God on my side. And so we get so consumed by what we think is fair for us. Our job as believers in Jesus Christ, living by faith, is simply to declare Jesus and to allow him to use us on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all of the resources he's allowed us to oversee, all of the time that he allows us to calendar, and all of the abilities that he has given to us, and every gift that he has put at our feet, and to use absolutely every relationship to give glory to the name of Jesus. That is it. End of story. That's all we're called to do, to live by faith, live by faith, live by faith, live by faith, live by faith. It's not sporadic. It can't just be on a Sunday. So the question is, are we living by faith? And if we were to do it together, wow. Wow. Will you live by faith with me? God, I call out your name. And I thank you for who you are. And I ask that you give us the energy to declare your goodness, to know the power of your truth, that we would live by faith, that you would encourage these brothers and sisters when they look at the weight in their life and they're concerned about it becoming a sin, give them the courage to acknowledge it and to ask for help. When they see the sin that's entangling them, may they rip it away from them. Give them that courage, O oh Lord. Fill them so much with your presence that they would just be able to stand fully in the truth of who you are. God, may they know what it is to run with endurance and to look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of their faith. In Christ's name, amen.